Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, one of the challenges in life is being able to tell the difference between the true, what is true, and what is false. It's not always easy to do that. It's not always easy to tell the difference between real money, for example, and counterfeit money. It's not always easy to tell the difference between real news and fake news. It's not always easy to tell the difference between a real product and a cheap product or a cheap look-alike, especially when you buy it through the internet. It seems like for almost everything that is genuine and valuable, there is a fake counterpart. A congregation, that includes the people of God. There are many people who claim to be the people of God, but not all of them are the true people of God. That's been a problem throughout history. It's a problem still today, and it, uh, it's a problem that always will be until the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a problem, not just outside, but also especially inside the Christian church. There are and always will be those who claim to be God's people, who try to convince others, and maybe even have convinced themselves that they are in fact God's true people. That they are real, genuine Christians when they really are not. They're not really living for God. They're not really trusting in Christ. They're putting their trust in. They're following someone or something else. That is the reality that the Word of God teaches us, that history teaches us, that we experience even today. And that means, congregation, that it is vital that we as confessing Christians examine ourselves whether we are really in the face. Whether we really are true Christians, whether we really are the true people of God, also especially as we prepare for the Lord's Supper next week, Lord willing. Because that's who the Lord's Supper is for. It's not for everyone. It's for those who are the true people of God. And so we are called to examine ourselves. But how do we do that? How do we tell whether or not we are part of the true people of God. Well, that's where our passage this afternoon, Philippians chapter 3, comes in. You see, in these first few verses of Philippians 3, Paul's dealing with this very issue. He's dealing with the problem that there are people claiming to be the people of God when they really aren't. And he's referring here especially to the Judaizers. Who were the Judaizers? They were people who said they accepted Jesus as the promised Messiah, but they claimed that to really be part of the people of God, to really experience full salvation, you needed more than faith in Jesus Christ. You had to worship God according to the Old Testament laws. If you were a man, you had to be physically circumcised. In other words, the salvation that they preached was not a salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It was a salvation by Christ plus works. You basically had to become a Jew to really belong to the true people of God. And Paul knows that this, this teaching is a real danger. And, and you see it coming up in other letters. We read about it in, in Galatians, where it seemed to actually take hold in the Galatian church. But, but here it's, it's maybe not taken hold, but he's, he's aware that, that, that they can face this danger. The Philippian church can, can face this danger, and he's deeply concerned for them, for his Gentile brothers and sisters, especially in Philippi. He doesn't want them to be sucked in by those claims. And so he warns them against those people. 
And he uses very strong language. He, he, he says, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision, the mutilation. But our focus in this afternoon's preparatory service will especially be on verse 3. Because in verse 3, Paul gives us a summary description of the true people of God in contrast to what the Judaizers were teaching. When he says in verse 3, for we are the circumcision, he's saying, for we are the true people of God. Physical circumcision in the Old Testament marked people as belonging to God's covenant and church, but being physically circumcised didn't mark you as being saved, as being a true child of God. You had to be spiritually circumcised. You had to be converted to God. That's what, that's what Paul is referring to when he says that we are the circumcision. He's saying we are the true people of God who what? Who worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So with God's help, we will consider this text under the theme, the true people of God. And we'll see, first of all, their relationship to God. And secondly, their relationship to Christ. And thirdly, their relationship to themselves. What is the true Christian's relationship? To God. What does it look like? Our text says that true Christians, the true people of God, worship God in the Spirit. And there's two things to note here. First of all, true Christians worship God. That's an important point, congregation. True Christians worship, they serve the one true living triune God, the God of the Bible. That's not what we do left to ourselves. Left to ourselves, we don't worship God. We don't serve God. We worship and serve something or someone else. The Bible declares and demonstrates that over and over again. When, when Paul describes our natural sinfulness and our depravity in Romans 1, one of the things he says in Romans 1 verse 25 is that we worship and serve the creature more or rather than the creator. And if you look later in Philippians 3, uh, Paul Paul speaks later in that chapter about those whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame who mind earthly things. That is what we do by nature. Left to ourselves, we worship ourselves or other people or other things as our gods. But when the real God, the true God, by His grace and Spirit converts us, He frees us from our bondage to sin, from our bondage to Satan, and He makes us worshippers of God, of Him. You think of Abraham. Think of Abraham. Joshua 24 tells us that before God took Abraham out of Ur, he, he worshipped and served other gods along with his, the rest of his family. He was no different than anyone else around him. But when God called him in his grace and he came to him with his gospel promises, things changed. Abraham became a worshipper of God over and over again. We read of him doing what? Building altars to the Lord and calling upon the name of the Lord. He stopped worshipping idols and he worshipped God instead. You see, that's what happens when you are converted. Like the Thessalonians, whose conversion Paul describes in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 9, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. In thankfulness for God's mercy in Christ, you present yourself, you present your bodies and your souls as a living sacrifice, acceptable unto God. And you are a true child of God, a true Christian. You worship and serve God. Does that describe us, beloved? 
Are you? Am I worshiping and serving God? The one true and living God? Or are we worshiping someone or something else? What is our focus in life? What are you devoted to? Are you focused on God? Are you devoted to Him? Or are you devoted to other things? We may not have idols of wood or stone in our circles. We can still have idols, can't we? Money can be an idol. Pleasure can be an idol. Happiness can be an idol. Comfort can be an idol. Food, food can be an idol. Toys can be an idol. Grades can be an idol. Success can be an idol. A house or a car can be an idol. A desire for love and respect and praise can be an idol. Family or friends can be an idol. What are you focused on? What are you devoted to? Think about your life. Think about how you use your time on the Lord's Day and on other days too. Think about how you use your money and your possessions. What drives you? What motivates you in life? What is your focus? Is it God? Are you a worshiper of God? You will be when you are a true Christian. That's what our text is saying. It doesn't mean you worship Him perfectly. No, the true Christian still struggles against sin. You still can struggle against idolatry in your heart. But you see, when you are a Christian, the Spirit is, is, is working in you. And he's, He works in you a great and an irresistible longing and a desire to worship the true God. He causes you to grieve, to, 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 to sorrow when you find your heart still so often divided. When you find yourself foolishly trying to worship and serve two masters instead of the one true God. He causes you to hate and to flee from idolatry. He causes you to humble yourself before God and confess your idolatry and to seek the cleansing blood of Christ and His power to worship God alone. He teaches you to plead before God the words of Psalm 86, verse 11. O Lord, unite my heart to fear Thy name. The point is, congregation, that being saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, doesn't leave you the same. It doesn't make you careless. It makes you careful. Careful to keep yourself from idols. Careful to serve the, the God who redeemed you in His sovereign grace. Careful to worship the one who saved you out of your miserable bondage and slavery to sin and to self and Satan. The true people of God worship God. That's the first thing. But the second thing, and the thing our text is especially emphasizing is this. The true people of God worship God in the Spirit. You see, the focus of our text is not so much on worshiping God, though that's, that's of course, crucial, that's important, but it's on how, on how we worship God. Why? Because the people that Paul was warning against were teaching that to really be a true Christian, to really fully belong to God and to His people, you had to worship God according to the Old Testament way of worship. You had to be circumcised. You had to offer sacrifices. You had to keep all the Jewish ceremonies and feasts and so on and so forth. And Paul says, absolutely not. The true people of God are the ones who worship Him in the Spirit. What does that mean? 
So that means they worship and serve God not through the outward ceremonies of the Old Testament, but through the Holy Spirit. They worship God, in other words, in complete reliance on the Lord Jesus Christ through whom we receive the Spirit. The context of this passage and other passages in Scripture, like the one we read in Galatians, they, they, they confirm for us that's what Paul's saying when he says worship God, we worship God in the Spirit. But why does Paul emphasize that? He emphasizes that because Christ has come, he says, you see, and he has fulfilled the Old Testament ceremonies. They were simply his shadow, but he is the substance. So to go back and to worship and serve God through the Old Testament ceremonies and sacrifices is really to deny Jesus Christ and his work of salvation. It's to say that Christ isn't enough. He hasn't done enough. The true people of God, Paul says, don't do that. They confess to use the words of Ephesians 2 verse 18 that through Christ they have access by one spirit unto the Father. They worship God in the spirit. Do we? I mean, maybe you think, well, of course we do. I mean, none of us would ever want to go back to those Old Testament sacrifices, the animal sacrifices, all those detailed rituals, all the blood. And You're probably right. But do we worship God in the spirit? You see, to worship God in the Spirit doesn't just mean that you don't follow the Old Testament ceremonies anymore. It means that you're not looking anywhere else for your salvation. That you're not looking anywhere else for the forgiveness of your sins. That you're not looking anywhere else for acceptance with God, but to Christ and to His finished work alone. That's what it means to worship God in the Spirit. It means that you're clinging to Christ alone for your acceptance with God. Are you? Am I? Or are we clinging to something else instead of Christ or, or in addition to Christ for our righteousness before God? Congregation, what is your relationship to God? Are you worshiping? Are you serving Him? And are you worshiping and serving Him in His Spirit, in reliance upon Christ? Or are you trying to worship Him your own way? Relying on your own ideas, on your own works, on your own feelings, on your own experiences, on your own understanding for your acceptance with God, for your relationship to Him. Do you realize what you're doing when you do that? You're denying Christ. It's not really any different than the Roman Catholic practice of praying to dead saints or praying to Mary or praying to angels or worshiping images. The true people of God, congregation, worship God in the Spirit, relying on Christ alone for their righteousness before God. And that doesn't mean you don't care about keeping the law. You do, because when the Spirit of God, when you worship God in the Spirit, the Spirit of God is in you, and He writes the law on the hearts of His people, and He makes you care about the law. He makes you grieve and leads you to repentance when you don't keep it. He makes you earnestly strive to obey it. Those are all things that the Holy Spirit does in His people. And that's why it's important to examine ourselves in relation to that. If those fruits aren't evident at all, at all, in your life, then you need to ask yourself whether you really are a true Christian. Whether you really do belong to the people of God. But at the same time, you see, the true people of God, they do not rely on their obedience to the law for their acceptance with God. Why? Because that's a denial of Christ. 
The true people of God worship God and they worship God in the spirits. Does that describe you? Is it not a question for self-examination? Also this week. Isn't worshiping God in the spirit, isn't relying on Christ rather than ourselves for acceptance with God the only right way to come to the Lord's Supper? Isn't the sufficiency of Christ what the Lord's Supper is all about? That leads us then to our second point. We've looked at the true people of God and, the, and their relationship to God, but now let's consider their relationship to Christ. Our text already referred to it. We, we, we hinted at it in our first point with reference to worshiping God in the Spirit, but, but now it directly highlights their relationship to Christ Himself. Verse 3, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. The true people of God rejoice in Christ Jesus, Paul says. Or more accurately, they boast, they glory in Christ Jesus. That's what the word rejoice here in verse 3 literally means. It's not the same word as in verse 1. It's the word used in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 31 when it says, He that glories, let him glory in the Lord. So what our text is saying is that the true people of God, they glory or they boast in Christ Jesus. What does it mean? What does it mean to glory, to boast in Christ? Well, it means for one thing, that you trust in Christ. You trust in Him as the all-sufficient Savior. He is absolutely everything. That, that, that's, that's the main thing Paul's getting at here. The true people of God trust in Christ as the all-sufficient Savior. You see, the Judaizers that he was warning about, they weren't doing that. They claimed you needed something else besides Christ for full salvation. You needed circumcision, physical circumcision. Christ alone wasn't enough, but God's Word says He is. He is enough. So when you have become a Christian, you believe that. You trust in Christ, Jesus, as the all-sufficient Savior of sinners. With Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, you confess Christ as the one who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He's everything. And He's done everything. He's finished all that's needed to be done for the accomplishment of, of our full salvation when He died on the cross. The true people of God in Christ Jesus, they, they trust in Christ Jesus as the all-sufficient Savior of sinners. And again, it doesn't mean you trust in Him perfectly. No, you can still struggle against doubts and against fears and against pride and against unbelief. But the thing is, you struggle. You don't live content with unbelief. You humbly cry out to Christ in the midst of your struggles. Lord, I believe. Help, help, help thou my unbelief. Is that true of you? Are you trusting in Christ? Are you looking to Him as the all-sufficient Savior of sinners? Is He everything to you? This is a vitally important question, congregation. Also this week, the Lord's Supper is not for people who have perfect faith in Christ. Thank God for that. But it's also not for people who have no faith, who are not trusting in Jesus Christ as their all-sufficient Savior. And so the question we need to answer is, what is your and my relationship to Christ? Are we trusting in Him as the all-sufficient Savior? For sinners. But maybe you say, Pastor, how do I know? How do I know? How do I know if I'm truly trusting in Him? 
But one of the marks that you are trusting in Christ as the all-sufficient Savior is that you also live for him as the all-glorious Lord. Not in your own strength, no, but in his. That's part of what Paul means when he says that the true people of God rejoice or boast or glory in Christ Jesus. He, mean, he means that they also live for Christ Jesus. He's not only the all-sufficient Savior, he's the all-glorious Lord. Because God, as Paul says in Philippians 2, has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that means that when we are Christians, when we are trusting in him, we also live for him. So Paul himself did. He lived for Christ Jesus. To him to live was Christ. He followed him. He served him as a bondservant serves his master. That's what the true people of God do. It's what it means to boast in Christ Jesus. It means not only that you trust in him as the all-sufficient Savior, it means that you live for him and serve him as the all-glorious Lord. How can it be otherwise? That's why Christ died. Paul says that in 2 Corinthians 5. He says that Christ died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. And he says in Galatians 5, which we read earlier, that they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. The point is, congregation, one of the ways you know that you're trusting in Christ as the all-sufficient Savior is by whether or not you're living for him as the all-glorious Lord. We're not saved by our living for him. But when we're saved, we will live for him. Because he's everything. We cannot do without him. Oh, again, we won't live for him perfectly. Not on this side of heaven. It'll be our desire. It'll be what we, be, what we are striving for. How can it not be? If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. How then can we not want and strive to serve him who loved us and gave himself for us? So what is our relationship to Christ? That is what we need to examine ourselves on, also especially this preparatory week. Are we rejoicing? Are we boasting in? Are we glorying in Christ? Are we trusting in Him as the all-sufficient Savior? And are we living Him for Him? Are we serving Him as the all-glorious Lord? The true people of God worship God in the Spirit and they rejoice in Christ Jesus. But that will also thirdly affect their relationship to themselves. Look again at verse 3. For we are the circumcision, we are the true people of God, who worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. What does that mean? It's, it's really the flip side of boasting in Christ, isn't it? Having no confidence in the flesh means you don't put your trust in anything in yourself for your salvation. But you count it all loss for Christ. It means you don't trust in your privileges, no matter how many or how great they are. Paul had many great privileges. He had more than most. He tells us about them in verse 5 and 6. He was circumcised the eighth day. He was of the stock of Israel. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was in Hebrew of the Hebrews. In other words, you could say that he was saying he was, he was a, a covenant child. He was a pure-blooded Israelite. He could even trace his ancestry to, to, 
the actual tribe he was from, the tribe of Benjamin. But you see, he refused to put his trust in those things as if they could somehow contribute to his salvation. He didn't put his confidence in his privileges and he didn't put his confidence in his works either. Yes, from a human perspective, he kept God's law to a T. Touching the law, he was a Pharisee. And he had lots of zeal too, even persecuting the church. Outwardly touching the righteousness which was in the law, he was blameless. Paul had so much he could have taken pride in, he could have trusted in, but he didn't do that. Because the true people of God don't trust in anything in themselves. But what about us, congregation? What about you? What about me? What is our relationship to ourselves, to our privileges that we have, to our supposed achievements? Where is our confidence for our salvation in? What is it that you think gives you a right to the Lord's table? Is it your privileges? Is it your baptism? Is it your, your background, your family background? Is it the fact that you were born into a Christian family in a Christian church? Is it your Reformed heritage? Is it your good works, your church attendance, your devotional times, your prayers, your evangelism? Oh, beloved, we can all, these things can all be good things, but we need to hear what the Lord is saying in our text through Paul. The true people of God have no confidence in the flesh for their salvation. Why not? Because when you see, when you are a true child of God, you realize that no matter how many privileges you enjoy, and no matter how many good works you do, you are and you remain still a sinner by nature before God. And you realize that none of those things, nothing in yourself can make you righteous before God but only Christ. And so with Paul and with all the true people of God, you, you count all those things that you could trust in, that so many people do trust in. You count them loss for Christ and you cast yourself on Christ alone because you know that that's the only way to be right with God. Through repentance and faith in the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, and that's what the Lord's Supper is all about. That's why only those may come who are truly sorrowful for their sins and yet trust that their sins are forgiven them for the sake of Christ. And that the remaining infirmities are covered by His passion, His suffering and death. And so congregation, when it comes to our relationship to ourselves, the question we must ask ourselves this week is this. Is my confidence for my salvation in the flesh? in my privileges, in my accomplishments, or is it in Christ alone? That's where it needs to be. That's where it needs to be. That's where our faith needs to be. In Christ. It doesn't need to be strong faith. No, true faith in Christ is not always strong faith. It can be weak faith. It can be little faith. It can be mixed faith. It can be struggling faith. But if your faith is in Christ and you earnestly desire to have your faith more and more strengthened and your life made more holy, then the Lord's Supper is for you. But if your confidence is in the flesh, 
if your trust is in yourself rather than in Christ, then you may not come. And you will only eat and drink judgment to yourself. You see, it doesn't have to be that way. If you truly turn to God and you cast yourself on Christ for your salvation, then he will welcome you. He will welcome you to himself, not just to his supper next week, but also in the last day to his supper in the new creation where he will dwell with us, with his people forever. Oh, congregation, the true people of God worship God in the spirit. They boast in Christ Jesus and they have no confidence in the flesh. Let us search ourselves then this week. Let us seek to know with the Lord's help whether we are the true people of God. And so let us come. Let us come. Worshiping God in the Spirit. Boasting in Christ Jesus and having no confidence in the flesh. By the Spirit and grace of God. Amen. Let us pray.